Hey, everyone. We want to take a moment to tell you about the sponsor of this podcast, Roosevelt. You may know Roosevelt as the company who makes those rad, all-over print button-downs with just about every franchise that you love. They, of course, have Star Wars, because this is a Star Wars podcast, but they also have Harry Potter, Disney, Pixar, Marvel, NASA, WWE, The Office, Nickelodeon, Rick and Morty, Friends, all kinds of other stuff, including new lines from Yellowstone and The Godfather. And not just button-downs, but t-shirts. They do shorts, jackets, hoodies, koozies, flannels, so many different kinds of items, so many dope designs. So if you're interested in picking something up for the first time, go to rsvlts.com and use promo code THANKTHEMAKER with no spaces to get 20% off your first purchase. Once again, that's rsvlts.com. Use promo code THANKTHEMAKER to get 20% off of your first purchase. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello there and welcome to Thank the Maker, a podcast about heroes, princesses, scoundrels, hooky religions, ancient weapons, and all things Star Wars. I'm Adam Russell. I'm Nick Ganbarian. Hey, what's up, guys? It's Mike Forrester. What's up? Yo. Hello. And if you're watching, you already know that we have a guest, a returning guest for the second yes. time. Yes. Can I say friend of the pod yet? Is that cool to yeah, say? Yeah, come on. We're all friends. Right. <laughs> please, please. Friend of the pod. I think of us as friends. I do too, Kate. So we're on the same page. Everything's great. Kate Sabaker of Tested, Adam Savage's Tested.com, and Tippett Studio. Hi. Welcome. Thank you. What you been doing since last time we talked? <laughs> um, maybe some Star Wars stuff. <laughs> I have a feeling it's something we're about to talk about. Oh. Well, well first of all, you are correct. Let's say that Kate is attending Mosh Eisley which we are getting uh, pretty close. Are we, Nick, are we in, in, band, in band terms? We are safely, we could say there's about 150 tickets left. Okay. And we're two weeks out, so. It's gonna, yeah, we're gonna go. So. It's crunch time. Kate, we'll see you at Wash Isley. It's gonna be amazing. Look forward to hanging. Hell yeah. And um, we have a lot to talk about tonight in a short amount of time. We do. I'm on tour right now. Uh, we're on tour with Yellow Card. We're playing, we just played Asbury Park tonight. We're in New Jersey. And I, we had this venue, this room until like 2 a.m., but it turns out I have to be out in 33 minutes. So a little screwed. Uh, but we're going to talk about Star Wars in, uh, for the next 33 minutes, and we're going to talk specifically about Disney Gallery, The Mandalorian Season 3. And we brought Kate here because, like I said, Kate works for Phil Tippett at Tippett Studio, and they did some stuff, Tippett Studio did, because John Favreau wanted to bring back he mentions in, in the, the Disney Gallery thing something that I think anyone with a brain should agree with. So much of the aesthetic of the original trilogy is, can be credited to, to Phil Tippett's aesthetic, his work with miniatures and with stop motion. So John Favreau and Dave Filoni being the, the kind of filmmakers who really like practical effects, they like honoring the way the original trilogy was made, bringing it up to now. They brought Phil Tippett in to collaborate 
And Kate, you got to work on some stuff for The Mandalorian season three. (laughs) I did indeed. Yeah. Uh, What was interesting at the time is that uh, everything was pretty secretive. So I was told it was for a Star Wars project. (laughs) And like I wasn't told which project it was for. And uh, yeah, so I kind of did a bunch of guessing. Also, maybe Phil isn't always the most reliable source for that. So they probably told him what it was for. And he was like, you know, it's a thing. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So... I know, or at least from the from the documentary, I saw it. It was mainly the stuff on Mandalore, being the surface, the caves, the the mines. Yeah. Did you get to work on all of it, or were you kind of on a specific team, or well, how did they allocate the the teams there? Um. So as far as teams go, um, there would be Phil and me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, nice. Those are, the, those are the the two people. Literally, just the two of you. Yeah. Oh, whoa. Lean and mean. <laughs> that, so that was pretty easy to split up the work. And what was funny is because there were also some other projects that we were kind of working with Lucasfilm or ILM on, it, it again wasn't quite clear which things were which. So I even had a few other sets sprinkled into my um, like task force that ended up not being in the middle. And I was like, what? Where is it? I know that I did it, and someone's like, "Oh, it was in Book of Boba Fett." Or, you know, oh, I was like, oh wow. okay. So that long ago, wow. Holy yeah. Um, so actually, the stuff that they showed uh, in this episode, uh, I was actually pretty early pregnant while I was doing. So I want to say that was like over two years ago. I, don't, I think it was like early 2021 wow. that we were doing that stuff that because, fun. yeah, it was very much like. Um, the way Doug Chang, the production designer, like approached Phil and said, like, I really want you to help create the look of a lot of these things. So think of yourself as almost an honorary art director. I want I want to see what you would do with this. Here's some concept art for things we were thinking. Go with it. And John Favreau had had told Phil before, I've seen Mad God, your uh, 30-year opus project and I love it and I want to capture more of that feeling because it also harkens to the original trilogy. That's so good. And Phil took that and ran with it. Every time he did something that I was like, I, I don't know if that really fits in like this universe. He's like, I'm in charge. They want my look. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, okay, okay. That's great. That's amazing. Kate, is there is there I, I, I have to ask because like I know Phil has had a f- incredible career and I know that at some point when he has to get on and like push other projects, there's always this like with everyone in Star Wars, like we always don't want to talk about Star Wars, but he's had a career that has gone so far beyond just Star Wars for him to like come back and obviously you can't say ILM without not talking about Phil Tippett, right? Like what is, what is it, what was it like to have him come back to Star Wars officially and not talking about the original trilogy, but like, you know, is his excitement always there? He just has to, you know, say, I have to remind people, of course, that we are much more than just Star Wars 40 years ago. <laughs> but like, what is that like for him to be able to, you know, was it like riding a bike? He just gets back on and goes, okay, we're back in this mode. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, because honestly, this journey restarted back on Force Awakens. Right. You know, they came to him to to recreate the um, the hollow chest pieces. I think right. they're right, right, right here. Um, <laughs> And, uh, so like he was thrown back into that world. I think that was like 2016 or maybe even further back than that. That would have been, that would have been early. uh, Force Awakens came out in 2015. 2015. Yeah. Um, and so he's been back in that world for a while. I want to say though, that this, 
specific experience um, since they've been doing um, like the Mandalorian show specifically is he feels a bit more maybe recognition. Yeah. A serious kind of filmmaker and contributor because people like Jon Favreau are looking to him for their actual input, just like George used to do. Um, right. we, we discussed this on the uh, ILM uh, Light Magic special. Yeah, There was this freedom that George gave all of the creatives where he knew, I'm just gathering all of the people that are best in their field at what they do, and I'm not going to get in their way. I'm going to like allow them to create something amazing. And that's why the finished project uh, was so amazing. So I think he really felt some of that here, and he felt the respect and um it it really sparked him a bit. It's great. That's awesome. It's awesome. I remember he it was I think it was Instagram. I don't know if he has a Twitter account, but it was right after Mad God had dropped and he posted something like Ask Me Anything or somebody give me some questions or whatever. No Star Wars shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it does sound so, like Phil. Yes, yes. It yes. does track. Yeah. Yeah. He's definitely spent most of his life being like, okay, stop with the exact same questions over and <laughs> right. over and over again. And since Mad God came out he really felt like that was something that defined him a little bit better because it was completely of his making. So if you want to earn points with him, ask him a question about Mad God and then he'll (laughs) be like, oh, you're cool. Okay, cool. No, no, no. I'll ask him at Mosh, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He'll be there. Um, To my understanding, at least the way I think they framed it on the show is, did they get like the models to a certain point and then brought you guys in to kind of do your thing, right? So on that particular set, um, there definitely was already a structure and he mm. dressed the inside of some of those those cave walls. So like he knew they they said this is the shape it's gonna be, make it look good. And so mm. he got to really have a lot of fun with that. The other sets that we did were mostly starting from scratch. Okay. Uh, so that one, you know, was pretty cool and unique in that it was already mm-hmm. half done yeah which yeah. i wish more people handed me half done <laughs> i was gonna say which one do you prefer but that makes yeah. sense <laughs> how much how much is there in terms of uh, when you go from concept art and like adam and i i think at this point adam and i would if, if doug chang was like john favreau is going to be in one room he's gonna be talking about star wars doug chang is in the other room talking about star wars adam and i would be authentically torn on what it, for some people <laughs> incredible sure. like, oh, I gotta shut like adam and i love doug chang um yeah. going from concept art to be able to have phil's interpretation of it what what is where do you see you know we see the concept art and obviously at some points it gets finished enough but like there's obviously a trust of doug working with uh, working with Phil, but then from from both of your perspectives, from concept art to functional reality of what you can actually make, how far, how close for most people who don't understand what concept art? Because we see concept art in the in the in the books, and then yeah. people go, "Well, how come it doesn't turn out like that in the movie?" <laughs> um, which concept art is always supposed to be cooler than what actually can be done because of you know yeah. I don't know physics laws of physics. Um, but most importantly, like what does that look like for for you guys to to take a concept art like that and then bring it to life yeah uh well and i'll say one um quick note that i really love that about the mandalorian is that you get to see the concept art in the credits of everyone and i'm like this is wonderful because you're basically honoring a whole nother set of artists there um but so from a practical point of view yes there are definitely limitations i would say probably the people that are more mad about it are like our 
camera and lighting department who are like, there's no lens that exists like this. Or like, <laughs> right. It's impossible to light it like this. You can't have, you know, this in focus and this that like people are getting a little bit more mad about that because it doesn't exist in a plane of reality. Sure. Um, luckily for me, I don't want to sound cocky, but one of my favorite things is to be like, I can make that. <laughs> so, yes. Flex on them, Kate. That's why you get hired. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, if you if you hand me, I'm actually like staring just beyond my camera at a hanging piece of concept art from this episode that we're talking about. Nice. And there's something about it where you're like, okay, yes, this is a like a destroyed planet surface, and there's a bunch going on here. And if anybody has ever seen Mad God, that was what I did for 10 years. <laughs> with right. like, oh no, something terrible happened to this one once great civilization and now it's in shambles. I'm like, I know how to do that. <laughs> we, we've got boxes of stuff ready to just throw on this set, which we actually did with some of the stuff. That's, That's cool. cool. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. They talked yeah. about the, um, the, the Trinitite, the substance that, that's made from high intense high temperature like something like a nuclear blast that turns yeah something into glass you know that that line from boba fett like yeah. the empire turned that planet into glass like turns mm-hmm. out that's what it really was we call, and that, we call that angry glass yeah <laughs> they got some of it had to you know handle it with gloves because it's literally radioactive did you get to see any of that in person did that just inspire the the, the concept art or what was the deal with that so uh, again, I'll go back to miscommunication. We knew that there was a planet surface that was supposed to have been turned to glass. I don't think we knew what the chemical or the, the property was. And also somewhere along the line, we had it under, uh, we were under the impression that it was like almost a volcano underneath. Mm-hmm. So I actually um, went through many multiple processes of making the Trinidad, right? but it had no green tint to it. It was fully black. uh, And I came up with this really awesome method using this special black resin, this onyx stuff that is blacker than black and sharp as hell (laughs) after spreading it all out, spritzing it with water so that it like gets kind of brittle and then smashing the ever loving crap out (laughs) of it into shards and then gluing it in place so that it still looked like it fit back together Mm -hmm. Right, leaving space underneath it under this plexi, and then we set a red light under it. So, if you can imagine, it basically looks like a lava flow with all of these like broken black shards on top of it. I was in love with the way it looked, only to have Doug Chang show up and go, "This isn't red. Why? Why is this red?" Uh, (laughs) And then you changed the LED underneath to green, and you were like, "Look what we did instead." Yeah. See, you know, that's assuming we used LEDs instead of the extra hot, like, 5K light that was melting the plexi oh, that was over yeah, it. Yeah, of with, course. But it just had a course. gel on oh. it. So, yeah, we just okay, changed sure, it. Okay, sure, sure. Was okay. that miscommunication more like them being secretive? You know, I don't... It, I think it did have to do with that because they really don't give out any more information yeah. than they have to. So I right. think they just assumed we would get it and then... That or somebody told Phil and he didn't care or didn't, <laughs> didn't pass it along. I just watched something recently. I don't know if it was, it may have been like an old Spielberg behind the scenes thing, or maybe it was, God, it could have been an episode of like the movie. I've been watching the movie magic series, you know, the discovery series from the nineties. Cause it's all on YouTube. I remember they were talking about lighting through Oh, no, no, no. It was somebody who built a studio scale of the Falcon, right? Like the most accurate one that's been built by, you know, just like a fan, right? 
And they were talking about how, you know, before LEDs, they were lighting these things from the inside with incandescent bulbs or halogen bulbs or, you know, things like that. And they had to like build a cooling system. Like some of the look of the Falcon with those vents on top is functional to get the air through. So they didn't melt the damn thing. Oh yeah. I thought that was interesting as well. I've definitely worked on a few, few projects that like, oh no, we have to stop this. The thing is melting. (laughs) Oh my God. Hey everyone, we want to take a moment to tell you about the sponsor of this podcast, Roosevelt. You may know Roosevelt as the company who makes those rad all over print button downs with just about every franchise that you love. They of course have Star Wars, because this is a Star Wars podcast, but they also have Harry Potter, Disney, Pixar, Marvel, NASA, WWE, The Office, Nickelodeon, Rick and Morty, Friends, all kinds of other stuff, including new lines from Yellowstone and The Godfather. And not just button-downs, but t-shirts, they do shorts, jackets, hoodies, koozies, flannels, so many different kinds of items, so many dope designs. So if you're interested in picking something up for the first time, go to rsvlts.com and use promo code THANKTHEMAKER with no spaces to get 20% off your first purchase. Once again, that's rsvlts.com. Use promo code THANKTHEMAKER to get 20% off of your first purchase. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. So the aesthetic of Mandalore, I thought was completely beautiful, but it was giving me, not but, it was also giving me kind of a, um, like a Superman, uh, Krypton. What's his layer called? You know, Fortress of Solitude. Fortress of Solitude. Yeah. You know, obviously that comes from concept art. Do you know anything about the inspiration for that? They didn't talk much specifically about that in the, in the show. Yeah, uh, that one definitely didn't make it down to me. I um, assumed because I maybe I'm misremembering, but I thought that there had been talk back from maybe like the TV show The Clone Wars that there mm. had been reference to something right, right. about like the the planet being classified. Yeah, but that's that's as much as I've had a backstory on. Yeah, there's just something about the way those shards kind of. It's almost like you know, two plates came together and pushed one another yeah. up yeah. and it's got this kind of erupting kind of like eruption frozen in time kind of look to it that I thought was just beautiful. Not to mention the feeling of danger. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's true. Right. The whole place looks sharp. Um, can you talk a little bit, I think for a lot of people who I remember specifically sitting in 2019 in Chicago and we get the first look at the Mandalorian, right? John Favreau freaks out about making the razor crest go through on the, you know, John Dykstra's original process of how we got the, you know, we got the the camera to be able to line up. We're actually flying these things for the aesthetic that Adam had kind of talked about. And obviously something that, that, you know, Phil feels like basically you, like I said, you cannot be, you cannot talk ILM without talking Phil, John Dykstra and all these guys. How important is it for our generation, us, maybe elder millennials, some of us, uh, a little, a little older than that, to recognize how these things are were made, and still should be made to retain 
actually being able to create something now versus just strictly going in the age of AI, because I, I'm, I'm talking about this with so many different creative people uh, right now about all of our, like all of us are all creative people. We all make money off our creativity. Um, it, it, how important is it for people to understand that like all of these actual physical productions that changed special effects, no way to say anything about it. How important is that for people to know how this process was done? And thank goodness for the gallery because a lot of people might not still know to this day. Uh, I, I would say selfishly almost, it's extremely important. The first thing that comes to mind is uh, when you think about the cultures who their entire history has been passed down by word of mouth and it's like everybody's uh, responsibility to then pass to the next generation so that nothing is forgotten. Uh, it's the same thing with skills. And I see, I know that, you know, it could be considered pretty frivolous what I do, what I make with my hands. But the fact is, is that it is an art and a craft uh, that you're using your hands. And it's something that I have yet to see, you know, a single YouTube video that can like capture in its entirety the instruction of that. It's something that you have to do and train and practice and I think that it needs to be shared so that people remember, you know, how their hands work. And we don't all just turn into the Wally blobs that like <laughs> are on floating <laughs> chairs all the sure. time and yeah, don't yeah. actually have to use any of our, our muscles or our extremities. So I, I especially think it's important because every now and then there's somebody usually a bit younger than me who will be talking about an old movie. And of course it's a movie <laughs> that came out when I was alive and before they were born. An old movie, um, Jurassic and, Park. Like, okay. Yeah, <laughs> sure. pretty much. And, and they can't quite put a finger on why that one was so cool, but they like, you know, crapping on whatever new movie they just saw. Mm-hmm. And you have to take those moments to, <laughs> instead of being the cynical old person, that's like, yeah. you darn kids don't really know what you're talking about. <laughs> you have to stop and talk to them like a little kid where you're trying to more spark their interest than shame them for what they don't know. Mm, And so you, you have to say like, well, one of the things you're responding to is the fact that, you know, there was something physical there and you cannot replicate the way the light catches it, or you cannot replicate the way something has a movement to it. Uh, you know, obviously the thing I, I can't stop saying is that nobody knows movement better than Phil Tippett. Like he can see, how any kind of creature living or imagined will move in his head and it translates better than anything else. So even, you know, the CG dinosaurs in Jurassic Park are moving in a way that's so much more believable because they're limited to something in reality as opposed Mm -hmm. to the boundless nature of CG or AI. So there's something extremely grounding about that. And I, people do feel it and they notice it. But I think that they're giving it less and less weight now. They're like, oh, okay, right. well, that was cool, but I don't really know why. And so I'm mm-hmm. not, you know. Yeah. Well, I think like like growing up when more behind the scenes stuff came out, where there was in mostly magazines then, I think that's just a whole other layer of that will, a whole other layer that would give people appreciation. Like I, I just saw Asteroid City and I got home immediately and watched any behind the scenes, especially about the miniatures. And, you know, they're not that small, you know, like that's <laughs> something that was just like, that's what I took away from watching those YouTube 
short like videos about the miniatures in Asteroid City. Bigatures. Is that they're nice. some of them are like four feet tall, a yeah. train, you know, it's a giant train basically. Yeah. It's just not life size. I'm like, oh man, yeah. I, I didn't even consider you think a miniature is this big, but when they're kind of the size of a human, it's it films <laughs> great, you know? And I mean right. Wes Anderson has his own style with that stuff. But I, I just think that the behind the scenes, whether it's Disney Gallery or stuff you could watch on YouTube, I think that just gives people if they're interested another layer of appreciation and then they get more attached same thing with music or anything like that if you if someone really wants to know how the process is like what the process is then you're just going to have like a lifelong fan and maybe yeah. they have a career in it eventually who knows there's something you mentioned Kate about what people can't really put their finger on but they notice there's something different about older films star wars specifically has that not just because it's real. I think it's easy to say, well, it's because, you know, that it's made out of real things and a shot with a real camera. Yes, that's part of it. But CG has gotten to the point now and, and people's eyes are so used to it that some people literally can't tell the difference. I think the, the bigger thing now that we're, we are at this point in the digital age where it's, the fidelity is so high, the bigger thing that separates Star Wars specifically is it's fully ingrained in Star Wars that the look, e even now, is so rooted in found objects that are cobbled together, kitbashed together, made into something else, or even just a part is removed and now it's a lightsaber. You know what Green I mean? Please. It's so, it, yeah, it's so rooted in that. <laughs> so in this process, you know, being miniatures and, and not so much puppets that are that are creatures, there there's tons of junk, especially in that cave, you know, in Mandalore where that that creature is is holding Din captive. How much of like the the found parts in Greeblies did did you and Phil bring into that? Wait, Kate, did you guys name that thing, by the way? Does it have a name yet? <laughs> oh, we did not name it, no. <laughs> it's named Gary. Let's name it the Mad God on this one. Mm -hmm. Aww, let's do that. That would be thing. awesome. Mad God Jr. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, almost everything that we built um, for our... He was calling them almost like concept sketches, but in real life. Like, Phil was like, I'm basically trying to design these little scenes. And so we're just doing like these proof of concept models. And then we would flesh them out to more of a finished tone, mm. but much like everything else we do at Tippet, our shop is our store. So right. we would just go through shelves and shelves or all of our boxes of old Mad God stuff in particular, uh, old, uh, model kits to kit bash from. And then every now and then there would be like one or two things where I'm like, okay, well, I know I need, you know, this certain size of mesh or i know i need something that is you know fits this specification and so we would go out on a shopping trip for fun to try and find something that's so fun i i'm so jealous of really anywhere outside of my boring midwest city where there are still places you can go and find all of the cool stuff that's been used in in, in things like star wars we've got a couple cool antique shops but it's just not it's just not the same like you know you hear adam savage tell stories about dumpster diving and in the seventies and yeah. dude, I'm just, I'm, I just, I get like goosebumps thinking about what those days were like, you know, the stuff that before people knew what they were throwing away. Oh yeah. The kind of stuff that people could find. Well, if, if anybody ever comes to the Bay area, I'll take you to this store called urban Ore, which was definitely on Adam Savage's um, number one list. And where I've gone with Phil many times it's in Berkeley, right by Tippett studio. Nice. Uh, and it is a glorious warehouse of crap. And <laughs> yes. you find so many treasures there. We actually, I recently just built this crazy uh, animatronic robot that serves tacos and its base <laughs> is a, 
is a bread maker that we got at Urban nice. One. So yeah, that sounds pretty normal for Tippett Studios. <laughs> I know we're running short on time, but what can you think off the top of your head is like the newest thing that you've used? Ooh. You know, like I, you know, like it's got to be like. I'm thinking like when you're dumpster diving back then, it's mm-hmm. like metal or a toaster. But now for 20, 30 years, everything's plastic, I would assume. Yeah. So what, what would be like the most modern thing that you've like passed off? That's <sighs> a really good question, actually. Yeah. I, yes. I appreciate that. <laughs> um, let's see. Well, we've definitely... Okay, for one, uh, I did a model of... Um, it, this wasn't with Tippett. But it was for Adam Savage. I did a Blade Runner blimp. And the sides that have like the advertisements on it, like a new life mm-hmm. awaits you. Um, those were uh those were digital photo frames. Uh-huh. And so it's like the ones that like, you know, you buy your grandma with uh-huh. like all yeah. the pictures of the kids yep. cycle on the counter. And so like we we mounted those on the inside and then I built all these frames mm-hmm. around them and then I actually had like real um what I'm forgetting the word, you know, the fiber optics going all around it. Um, And so it, and it, it works. You just preload it with a flash drive with the (laughs) graphics inside of there. And everybody's like, those must be like iPads or something. I'm like, it's way more boring than that. Yeah. 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 (laughs) I have one thing. I I collect greeblies and stuff here and there, even though I don't build stuff nearly often enough. One thing I cannot get rid of because it's just, it looks so cool. And there's so many, cool bits it's all plastic but it's an old um it's from the 80s it's a it's a dehydrator you know like a circular with layers that are that are all they're almost like spoked kind of um concentric circles and and spokes the top looks so much like a droid because it's got this Mm -hmm. long kind of handle that fans out it's got a knob and with the sides just because of those stacks it, it it's just rings and it's got it's just so cool looking i'll probably never make it into a droid Send uh, it to Kate. She'll make a droid out yeah. of it. Come on. Come I'll, on. Uh, I'll, I'll put it in the bus. We'll bring it out in the fall. There we go. Sweet. And drop it off. Um, one more thing, talking about the, you know, the, the past and the present and now kind of um, bringing the two together, especially like John Favreau and um, Dave Filoni like to do. They mentioned taking the miniatures, photo scanning them, and then using photogrammetry to, to map those textures on their mm. CG models. Did you get to see any of that or participate in that process or did you you and Phil just kind of hand off what you did? We we pretty much handed off most of them. Um there was a day when we kind of, it was cool because again they give us so much freedom. So they sort of just said here's the concept art we want, you know, five sets and then they just went away. And they showed up one day and it was like, "Okay, ta-da, let us show you." Uh, what we have behind this door. And so we like walked them through each of the sets, which that's where obviously some of those miscommunication things, maybe if we had been more in touch, (laughs) we would have, you know, made the changes before we showed them. Um, But what was cool is they, they allowed us to go back and make a bunch of changes so that it all fit. But um, I want to say the, the scene that they showed photos from in this episode the sort of wasteland and you could see my crew with the, the finished set that they shot at least part of at Tippett studio. So like we <laughs> built it, we set it up and then I think I was on maternity leave when they actually shot it. But right. um, that was, that was pretty cool. And they did that more in-house, but 
Yeah, I'm, I, I actually would like to see it. For some reason in my head, I understand the concept of photogrammetry, but in my head when they do it, they have to put it inside like an MRI machine or something. Right. It's a very yeah. like technical thing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Dude, yeah. what's funny is now that kind of thing is, for most people, something you can really it's do legitimately yeah. with an iPhone. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, I have, a, I have an app called, um, I don't know what it's called now. I don't know what it's called. I do, just not at this moment. Um, but no free promo on this show. <laughs> right, you got to pay for it. Yeah. Last time at um, last time I was at Galaxy's Edge, I was photo scanning stuff all over the place, and there's a community you can upload it to. Polycam is the name of it. Cool. They use it. Uh, Corridor Crew uses it for all kinds of stuff. And you know, I'm ju- I'm just like holding a blue milk in one hand and doing it with the other, so it's really hacky, but it <laughs> it looks so good, and yeah. it's the kind of stuff that I'm just doing for fun and for reference because. You know, I want to build stuff in my house, but I mean, the technology is just so, so small and simple now, relatively speaking. I imagine, mm-hmm. I mean, they, they could have done it with a phone. I wouldn't be surprised if I saw behind the scenes, behind the scenes <laughs> thing in your shop with a person with just an iPhone. Honestly, probably. Yeah. <laughs> is the model still, is the model still like, do you guys have the model still or is it, is that in the archives now that's gone? That's a good question. Uh, Usually I see the bits of things that got broken down, like laying around the shop. And I haven't seen that one in a while. And Disney's pretty particular now that like, you know, Disney's behind Star Wars. So they don't like to let us hold on to anything. They took all our original hollow chest pieces back. So um, I would assume they might have taken it either that or we just broke it down and, and took all our parts back and put them back into boxes. Okay. Well, if you, if you find any of them, there's a couple guys who would definitely enjoy a Christmas present this year. Um, oh, wow. Okay. We'll pass so just let us, oh, they're probably all about right here. You can look up and down and around. We'll all, that's fine. <laughs> and totally if cool. anybody from Disney is listening, I'm saying no right yeah, now. Not yeah, at all. We're totally cool not with that. Yep. We've never, we've <laughs> never even seen this. This conversation didn't happen. It's definitely not on YouTube. <laughs> Well, uh, I'm going to get kicked out of this venue in about three minutes. Yes. So need to wrap up. Kate, is there anything you're working on now that you can talk about or anything you want to shout out before we go? Oh, I have some things I would love to tell you about, but I cannot. Otherwise, yes, I'm going to Comic-Con and Mosh Eisley, and uh, I will have videos released probably soon touting some of my fun new projects, but as of now, can't say. Awesome. This is the way. Anything recent, untested that you want people to check out? Uh, I'm actually currently in the middle of a massive tested project, but it won't be out for a little while. So I can't think of what the last thing I did for them was. So whatever. All right. <laughs> check out my social media. You'll see some of the projects I did. You can see my taco bot that, that is getting released soon. It was for a short film. Sweet. Awesome. What, uh, where can people find you on social media? Uh, at katesabaker.com. That is Kate with a Y and Sabaker, like you would never guess a spell. That's it. <laughs> K-A-Y-T-E. Yes. Not pronounced Katie. Thank you. <laughs> uh, let's see. Mosh Eisley, you mentioned. July 21st, yes. tickets are on sale. Like Nick said, only about 150 left. Get those. That's the weekend of San Diego Comic Con. It's going to be the best party you've ever been to. Viewer, listener, believe us. I'm saying a true thing right now. He's saying it. He be- you got to believe him. I'm on tour with Yellow Card right now. Story of the Year in Yellow Card, Mayday Parade, and This Wild Life. Come see us wherever. Tickets are still available for some shows. Nick, you're going on tour soon? Yeah, we have a couple of festivals. Bouncing Souls, Stoked for Summer Festival. If you're in North Carolina, we have Outer Banks is for Lovers Festival. And then we have four headlining shows in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, Long Island, Cleveland, and Buffalo. Tickets are available. 
tight. Oh, also patreon.com slash thankthemakerpod if you want bonus content, ad-free podcast feed, uh, what do you call it? Merch? Exclusive merch. That's the word. Exclusive. Merch. Jesus Christ. It's late. <laughs> um, it's great stuff. It helps this podcast exist. Patreon.com slash thankthemakerpod. Kate, thanks again for being here. Thank you so much. Everyone, thanks for watching and listening. And until next week, may the force be with you. If you enjoy Thank the Maker, you can support us by following and leaving a review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Or you can support us directly at patreon.com slash thankthemakerpod, where you can get access to our Discord server, exclusive content, exclusive merch, our recording live stream, and more. Our patrons quite literally make Thank the Maker possible. <laughs>